Yeah, thank you, Jesus. You guys are awesome. Thank you for leading us in worship. Thank you, church. I just want you to know I could hear you. That was amazing. I'm standing over here, and I could hear you all singing and praising God, and it was an amazing sound, and I'm so happy. I want you to continue to lift up your voices. Don't worry about what it may sound like to people around you. If the person next to you doesn't sing very well, it's okay. Let them make a joyful noise to the Lord. Don't look at them. Not worried about it. We all make mistakes. The, the, the team showed you that this morning. They're just trying to help you know we're not a perfect church or a perfect people. We're here because we know we need God's help. There you go, brother. <laughs> and at some point, we prove it every week. And we want you to know we love you and we're glad you're here. And God is so happy that you're here with him and his family. And we welcome you. Yeah. As we come together, the Lord wants to do something with all of us today. This amazing God wants to transform who we are to become Christ-like in every way, and therefore we have work to do today. God has a work to do in us, and we must let him do that work, or we will never change. And we need to change. I don't care who you are, myself, you all, we need to change, and God is all about change. He is a change agent, and the Spirit of God is working, and he's moving, and I'm excited about that. First, I want to apologize to our Gospel Rescue Mission family and let you know that I wasn't just skipping out on the out open house yesterday. I was uh, committed to do a teaching up in Scottsdale, and so I had to leave very early in the morning to go up to Scottsdale and do that teaching to get back here uh, last yesterday in the afternoon, evening, uh, to get ready for today. So I apologize I missed it, but I'm looking forward to the opening over there, and I love you guys. Glad you're here with us. Did you spend at least five minutes a day, at least five days last week, reading or listening to God's Word? I'm, I'm praying for a day where that's 100% of us saying yes. We need to do that today, Sunday. It's the first day of the week. This gives you an opportunity this week to make that happen in your life. I would encourage you that if you don't spend time in God's Word, make time to spend in God's Word. Shut off your radio, your music. Shut off your TV. Whatever other thing you do to distract you, stay off Facebook for five minutes. Come on. Listen to God's Word. Let Him speak to you, and He will transform your life. Did you share God's story with someone this week? Do you spend time alone with God this week with no agenda? Yes. All right. Now, when we say no agenda, that means I'm not just talking to him about what he needs to do for me, in me, and through me, and everybody else around me. We're saying, God, I want to be with you. That's what we mean with no agenda. It's just to be with God. That's that quality time that we need, okay? All right. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? Yes. Are you giving as God has asked you to give in your time, your talents, and your resources? Yes. You're all in. All right, I'm waiting for 100% on that one, too. Did you, not because of the money thing, for all of it. Time, talent, resources means we're all in. We're committed to God in every area of our life. Did you invite someone to church with you this week? Yeah. See, when you're sharing your God stories, you take those little cards with you, and you just give them one of those cards and let them know, like, I'm part of this church over here. We believe in the power of God to transform lives, and I want you to know about that. Why don't you come and join me? Bring them over, and you can tell them you'll get them a coffee. You can get, they get a free one their first time here. You don't even have to pay, but you don't have to tell them that at first. You can just say, come on, we have a cafe, and I'll get you a coffee, you know, and we can make that happen. Anyway, have you been praying and working on God's goal for us in the Great Commission for 2019 of each one of us reaching at least one person, teaching them what it means to be a follower of Christ? Are you doing that? Yeah. All right. That's awesome. I believe in the Word of God. I want everybody here to know this. 
I believe that God's word is God's word and it is God breathed as the word of God declares. What that means is the spirit of God breathed through individual authors. There's so many different authors that wrote the Bible over thousands of years, but it was one God who inspired the whole thing. I know that it's God's word and I know that it is truth. There are a lot of people that will not accept the Bible as God's word. In our culture today, we don't want to accept truth except our own. And the problem with that is, is that when I have a truth and you have a truth and those truths disagree, we have a problem. And therefore, our whole culture is broken and messed up because everybody's trying to have their own truth and accommodate everyone else's truth. And that doesn't work. That brings about chaos. There has to be a truth. And there has to be a truth that we align with. And God has established that truth. He himself has drawn the line and said, this is truth. Now, when God drew that line, he said, it is truth. Many people will not accept God's truth. We want to make our own line. That's called sin, by the way, in case you're wondering what that was. And so as we consider this, here's what's going on in our culture today. We have a lot of higher education teaching in the church world. They're called seminaries, Bible colleges, things like this. In many of them today, not all of them, thank God, many of the seminaries themselves today don't believe that God's word is the Bible. They are teaching and preparing pastors and priests, clergymen to lead the church, and women, to lead the church... And they're telling them that the word of God is not the infallible word of God, is not God-breathed, but a lot of it is just allegories to try and help people understand the problems of their life. There are seminaries that don't teach and believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe that God is who he says he is in the Bible. They teach that there is no hell. I'm talking about seminaries. I'm not talking about U of A. I'm talking about seminaries that are supposed to be equipping men and women of God to lead God's church. This week, there is a higher level of institution in New York City. I'm not going to give their name. I don't even want to give them any credit. But there is this place there that was founded in the late 1800s on the word of God to prepare men and women for ministry, to teach them the truths of how to lead a church, how to transform a society in the gospel message of truth. Today, that same institute has a president and she made the statement in an interview that she doesn't believe that there is a hell, doesn't believe that there's a virgin birth, and doesn't believe that God is who we say he is in the Bible. She's the president of that seminary. So my statement is, why have a seminary in the first place? <laughs> what are we doing? And what we have in churches across the world is we, we want to have... I want you to hear me correct when I say this, please. God wants to encourage us. We're going to be encouraged today by the challenge of God's word, but we're also going to be convicted, and we're going to have to hear truth that we're not always comfortable hearing. Okay? So what God wants to do today is speak truth into us. Truth is not always easy to hear. It's not always easy to preach. It's not always easy to say. Because we recognize that people have feelings and we don't want them to be hurt, but I also don't want you to be lost. And I care more about that than your feelings in the moment. So you don't have to like me. You do have to love me. 
God said so. Right? If you want to go to heaven, you have to love me. There's no... So, if you have an issue, that's your problem. All right? (laughs) Are you excited? We ready? (laughs) So... Here's the thing, like, uh, when you go into some institutions of higher learning, even in the church world, and many in society, you know, we're trying to find the origins of life and the beginnings of time and all that stuff, and so we just think that if we just continue to add numbers in time, that it can all work out for us. You know, I mean, it can be a hundred billion years, whatever it took for us to transform into what we are today, or we can just simply take the Word of God as truth. And so there was one author of the first five books of the Bible. And the first five books of the Bible cover several thousand years. And that author of that first five books of the Bible didn't live all those years. And so when people read it, they're like, well, this is crazy because, you know, it's way before he was even born. So how can this be accurate? So the author of the first five books of the Bible is Moses. And Moses wrote what is called the Pentateuch, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. From the beginning of this world through the establishment of Israel as a nation. And so here's the thing, church, that is so exciting to me and blesses my heart, man. It's like so cool. See, there was no one like Moses in all of man and humanity. No one like him in this. And God said so. And the word of God declares that Moses talked to God like a man does face to face. Now, Moses didn't see the face of God. God was in the clouds, but God spoke to Moses. Do you know how many times when you're reading through that Exodus account when Moses is leading Israel that Moses spent time alone with God? When he went up on the Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, that one trip alone was 40 days. It did not take God 40 days to write Ten Commandments on a piece of stone. God was speaking to Moses. God was giving him revelation. He was speaking to him about all those things that Moses recorded for us to know what this is all about. First thing I want to tell you is that the Bible is not a book that tells us a way to, uh, to believe there is a God. The Bible presupposes that you know there's a God. The Bible starts off, in the beginning, God doesn't say who he is or where he came from. As a matter of fact, as you read it, he says he always was and always will be, and we're like, we're already lost. We can't get that. In the beginning, God, he was always there. And so when, when God is speaking to Moses to transform this amazing story, what God is beginning a story of is why he made us, how we screwed it up, and how he was going to fix it. That's what the Bible's all about. Why he made us, how we screwed it up, and how he would fix the problem. The whole thing. And therefore, it's not like trying to prove God exists. The Word of God explains to us that if we have a brain, we can look at creation and say, there is a God. We can look at the amazing creation of birth and humanity, say, there is a God. There is no way these things just happen to be in all their perfection and their glory and everything about it. Even in the book of Romans, it tells us that all of creation declares this. The psalmist said it. Man, it's the heavens declare the glory of God. It's all around us saying, there is a God. 
And then the Bible says, hey, I want you to know who he is. He loves you. You're messed up, but he loves you. And the Bible says, I love you so much, this God that we're talking about, that I'm not going to leave you messed up. I love you so much that I'm going to make you better. And I'm going to make you whole. And that all started in this little account, in this one little section of the planet. When God made all of this stuff in creation. And on that sixth day, when everything else was made, he got down and played in the dirt. God did. It's awesome. He made this thing that looked like himself. And then what he did was he breathed his godness into that dirt. And it became a living soul. See, I believe that event is history and it's real. And God did it. I believe that. And that dirt clod that was laying there that God breathed into became man. That's me. My ancestors and yours. God breathed and they came to life. And God gave them His godness. They weren't God, but God gave them His godness, His attributes, who He was. It says in the Word of God that He made us in His likeness and in His image. And then He breathed in us, and we had God's breath in us, and we came to life. And God gave us dominion over everything on earth, over all the animals, over all the plant life, over all the creeping things and everything in the sea. God set us on the throne of this world. They were all subject to us. God did that. He said, I'm giving you this. He gave us, hear me right now when I say this, the ability to be like God on this planet. That's what he did. So God says, this is all yours. I want you to rule it. Take care of it. Be who you're supposed to be here and take care of what's there. God says, it's all yours except this one thing. Think about it, church. The whole planet, everything on it is yours but that one thing. And so what catches their eye and their imagination? The one thing. The one thing. God drew a line. God said, all this is yes, that's no. Live in the yes. And Adam and Eve could not live in the yes because they wanted to know what the no was. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. She wanted to experience the only thing God said, don't experience this. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. All right, church. Let's enter into this moment where sin entered the world and everything changed. Right here, everything changed. I know this is a biblical, 
historical, accurate record because of the truth that we find in the simplicity of this story. The wonder of God, the wonder of humanity, the stupidness of ourselves, and the amazing love of God. It's all seen right here. See, when sin entered the world, it entered humanity. It came inside of us. God said, in the day you eat it, you're going to die. The breath of God would no longer live within us. The presence of God would now be absent. So, when they took it, there was this exit that took place, and something else entered. And what entered was an immediate understanding of something. Something changed. That was the understanding. Something is now different. Things have changed. Something needs to be done to fix what just changed. Hear me, church. Humanity, Adam and Eve, in that moment, God wasn't there saying, what did you do? He wasn't. The Holy Spirit wasn't there saying, hey, you just screwed up. What happened was this. They ate it, and immediately their eyes were open, and they were like, uh-oh, something's changed. Something's wrong. I've got to fix this. And immediately what they did was, oh, let's, let's put some clothes on so that we can be covered and we can get away from what we're feeling right now. The shame, this nakedness, we want to fix it. Man, church, this stuff's going on all the time. It's still going on. This is how we know it's truth. See, this is exactly what sin does. Sin lets us see, feel, and know our brokenness. Sin says, you need to do something about it. Now go and fix yourself. Sin leads us into this belief that I can do something about what's broken inside of me. That I, with some kind of change, some kind of change agent other than God, other than that, all myself, I can fix this problem I have. Let's sew some fig leaves together. Now I feel better about myself. I'm not really exposed like I was. Let's continue reading in the actual account in history. Adam and Eve are now sporting their new clothes that they sewed for each other. Think about it. Nobody else was there. But they could not face their own shame as they looked upon one another. Hmm. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. See, right here in this moment of truth, please hear this loving, amazing God. He doesn't, he doesn't come at him and say, You're so right you're naked, you idiot. Look what you just did. You screwed up everything I had planned. Nope. God doesn't even say one condemning thing right here. Listen, this is what he says. Who told you you were naked? How'd you know? What revelation happened that all of a sudden you knew? See, God in his gentleness comes and asks a question that he already knows the answer. 
But what he's doing is he's trying to force Adam to face what he's done. Bring him to the understanding that he said yes where God said no. God doesn't tell him, you did that. God says, how'd this happen? What'd you do? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat? Did you do this? See, we find some powerful truth in the scripture here that we're looking at. Some amazing things because when we're looking at that, we find in this conversation between Adam and God the driving force of the attempt to avoid God and facing our sin. And as we read it, it's fear. This is what Adam said. I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid. The very brokenness that we have causes us to run from the presence of God because we're afraid because he's God and I'm broken. Fear drives us from God. See, in the worship songs we were singing today, we're, playing, we're, we're singing and saying, you know, that fear has no place in me. Why? Because we've come into the presence of God understanding that God is the God of love, forgiveness and healing and wholeness. And I can't allow fear to drive me away from his presence to try and fix myself myself because I can't get fixed. I can't fix myself. There's no way. The fact is only God can bring a remedy for our sin problem. And yet he's the very one we try and avoid when we end up screwing up in the beginning. Man, we, we screw something up and then we don't go to church. Come on. We screw something up and so we leave those people so they don't know what we did. God knows. Why are we trying to hide what we know is broken in us? Here's the conversation that took place in Genesis. After God asked them, you know, did you do this? You know what Adam did? God... You did it. You gave me this woman, and she made me do it. So, you know, I hear a lot of people talk like that. They say, well, God made me this way. Right? You ever said that? God made me like this. No, he didn't. Sin made you like this. And you sinned, not God. And God offered a remedy to change you. All right. So Adam's like, hey, over there, man, you and her, you teamed up. That's that's what he did. And then Eve says, um, the serpent, he did it. He told me. So everybody wants to blame everyone else. It's been going on since the beginning. So let's get real here for a moment. Okay. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We're all broken. We're a result of brokenness. We come from broken families. We've had broken parents, broken society. It's broken everything. And so our whole generation, man, it's been going on since here, from the beginning. This is what we're doing. It's the president. It's the politicians. It's the judicial system. It's the prison system. It's the school system. It's my mom and dad. It's my grandparents. It's the church. 
it's the schools. It's my society. It's my spouse, right? None of us want to own the fact that the reason I'm broken is because I'm broken. Did all of that contribute? Yeah, it's called sin. All right, sin is everywhere because we brought it into this place. And it's destructive and life-sucking and it robs us. And so sin is everywhere. And its effects are everywhere. And so we're like, it's that problem, it's that problem, it's that problem. And none of us want to step up and say, you know what? It's me. It's me. And I have to step up. The only way I'm going to get fixed is when I finally own my own brokenness and stop blaming everyone else. I don't care what their part was. Everything's had a part. It has. I mean, I want to kick Adam and Eve when I get to heaven. You know, it's their fault, right? But I screwed up. I knew better. Do you know how many times in my life that I knew God said no and Dave said yes? So even though I want to blame them and I want to kick them when I get there, why did you screw this up? The truth of the matter is, if they didn't, I would have, because I did it. I did it. I knew. God said no. He drew this line, and he said no. All this is yes. It is crazy how we in the church have stepped into God's yes, and yet we're still over here like, hmm. No. Well, I'm not really doing that. I'm not. I'm hanging off the edge there in case you couldn't see me in the back or somebody online. I mean, we're, we're, we're saying yes. So, man, here's the thing. Church, we know God's the only remedy for sin. He declared that truth to us, and yet he's the one that we try and avoid when we screw it up. Now, some of us are trying to manipulate this relationship with God by allowing light in most areas of my life. But I, I still want to keep this shadow, this darkness. And I'm trying to, like, validate and justify that shadow because of this light. So I'm asking you this morning, what are you trying to hide from God in your life? <laughs> and what are we trying to use to cover our shame? See, that's what Adam and Eve did. They tried to cover their own shame. And a lot of times, even us in the church, we try and cover our own shame by, like, not going all in. Uh, you know, like, I, I'm okay with this. I'm comfortable here. God's saying, over here, right here, in the middle of the light. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. 
That's John 3, 16, 17, and 18. You know that. It's the golden text of the Bible. What those three verses do is tells us God loves us. He made a plan for our redemption. Jesus is the one. Jesus came to save us, not condemn us. We didn't need somebody to tell us we were naked. We already knew. Nobody had to tell me I was broken. I knew I was broken. I knew I needed help. I knew that everything I tried to do didn't work. I needed something else. God says, here I am. You want to get saved? You want transformation? God says, it's Jesus. This is how it's going to work. I have a promise for you. There's an eternal life. There's this relationship with me that I've made possible. And it's going to last forever if you step into it. If you don't, then you're choosing to go your own path. You're saying no to my yes. You're choosing to condemn yourself. Right? It's the, it's, that's the reason why we call it the golden text of the Bible. And that's why we teach it to all the children in Sunday school. And all of us as adults should know those verses. Because they have the, the entire message of the redemptive plan of God right there. But it doesn't end there. John 3, 16 and 17 and 18 are followed by 19 through 21. But oftentimes we just stop reading right there because it's the redemptive plan. It's a promise. It's my hope. But I want you to hear what it says in verse 19. The very start of verse 19 says this. This is the verdict. What? Jury, will you rise and pronounce the verdict? The evidence has been put forth. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe wouldn't be condemned. They could believe. They could be saved. They could all this. So what's the verdict? Here it is. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Oh, oh, wait a minute. There's a calling to us saying, here's the verdict. God's done everything for us. Now you either step into the light and live there in full transparency. Or else. And if you don't step into the light, it's because you really don't want to change. You really want to live over here in the darkness. You really want what God offered, but you don't want it bad enough to come out of the darkness in which you were living and step into the light. Because you see, when I step up here into this light and I look up, and you can see me on the screens if you can't see me yourself, there's wrinkles. It's crow's feet. The light will reflect over the thin spots in my hair. You see me for who I am. But if I can slide over in the shadows and you haven't seen me fully yet, yeah, I might be able to fool you and take 10 years off. But when you live out here in the light, nope, you're seen for who you are. You're completely transparent. And the Word of God tells me, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it might be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. My whole life is transparent before God. I am naked in His presence all the time. 
can hide from you. I can try and hide from Him. But I can't hide from Him. And the Word of God says, if you know Jesus, and you've received what God has offered to you in this redemptive plan, then you embrace the light because you've recognized that your full life is before Him. And nothing is hidden. Jesus is the only remedy for our brokenness and our sin. He didn't come to condemn us. We were already condemned. Remember when Adam and Eve knew it? Before God ever showed up, so to speak. They didn't even recognize that He was there. He was there. But they didn't tangibly feel Him. They didn't hear His voice, but He was there. And so in their brokenness, they confessed their brokenness when shame came upon them and tried to fix themselves. Church, the only way to be whole is to be made new through Jesus Christ. In verse 19, the only way to be healed of this brokenness is to come into the light fully. It tells us there that we really don't want to come into the light if we... Why? We don't really want to change. That's what he said. Because they like what they were doing over there. The only way you're going to change is when you leave that darkness and come into the light. Now you have to accept what God's saying to you. That's how we leave it. And we confess it to Him openly. We embrace it. We own it. And then we surrender it. So that God Himself will remove it from us. We know we need to change, but really we're afraid. Oftentimes we live in fear. Do you remember what Adam and Eve did? They lived in that moment in fear when they heard God. When we come into the presence of God, all of a sudden when God's there, there's fear inside of us. But what if? And all that stuff, right? The lies of the world. The lies of the enemy. We're afraid to come into the light. We know that if we expose ourselves to the light, that we're going to be seen for who we are. the only way you're going to live it is to actually be seen for who you are. To confess it. To come before God and allow Him to do the work. Don't think that you were loaded at any point this week. Don't think you were. Don't think that you weren't listened in on on every conversation. And I'm not even talking about your smartphones. Man, if humanity has the technology to track you, listen in on you, see you, Anytime they want to, we'll talk about God here. He didn't need them. He's been doing this since the beginning. And so, you may want to cover up the camera with a little sticky note, so to speak. Doesn't work. God sees you. He's heard everything that you've said. He's known exactly what you've done. I just want you to know God knows who you really are. God knows who you really are. We could try and ignore that truth. We can avoid it. Have you ever tried to avoid things with God? Isn't that crazy how we do that? You know, just kind of like he's saying, don't do that. And I'm like, well, I'm not really doing that. What I'm doing is I'm trying to do this without doing that. You know, we try and avoid the truth. And the others, we, what we do is we just try and justify it. Say, well, you made me this way, you know, so you have some blame in this and you understand and so I'm, I'm pushing against your grace and mercy to understand that because you made me this way, this is who I am and that's why I act like this. It's not really my fault. So we try and justify the brokenness that's in us, the sin that is living within me. 
After Jesus' resurrection, in the, in the story of Easter's resurrection account, when we read that account, we know the story about doubting Thomas, right? That whole phrase that comes from, by the way, the Word of God, but it's used across culture. Um, the disciples are gathered together in John 20. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, place my hand into the wound on his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. All of a sudden, there's the tangible presence, the evidence. Remember in the garden? Where are you? They're all there, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Check it out. Listen to this conversation. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Now, church, we're reading that account right there because it's very specific about something that God is trying to reveal to me and you right now in our lives. Every single statement that Thomas made when Jesus wasn't there is exactly what Jesus responded to when he was there. Just because he didn't perceive his presence, was not aware of his presence, didn't mean he wasn't there. He heard every question he brought up. He knew his doubt. So Jesus confronts him right here and now, and it says, check me out, dude. I am. Will you believe now? I want to say that to you in this most kind and encouraging and most convicting possible way that we can. I want you to know that this week, yesterday, the day before, last Monday, this morning, he was there. (laughs) In every conversation, in every search, in every comment, in every like, In everything you did, he was there. And now we come into church, and it's like, he's here. It's different. It's really not. But it is. In this respect, we are aware. When two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus said, I'll be there. I'm right there. God promised. So right here in the church... There's a different sense. There's a realization. Jesus is here. That's what he told us in Revelation in chapters 2 and 3 when he's writing to the church through John and he speaks and he says, I'm the one that walks amongst the seven candlesticks. The seven candlesticks are the churches. I'm there. And you know what he said to every one of them? I know. I know. He opened his message to every church. I know. You're not hidden. What you're doing, I'm with you. Here's what you're doing. This is what needs to change. That's the message he gave to the churches in Revelation. That's the message he gives to us. I know I'm there. I'm just as present with you in church as I am out of church. See, the difference is our perception of God's presence. Adam and Eve didn't even realize that God knew. They thought when they screwed up, they were all alone. 
and they were going to fix their problem. Then when they heard, they became aware, uh-oh, let's hide. We're not here. Where are you? Isn't God awesome? This is what the Holy Spirit is saying right now. Where are you? Why are you trying to hide? Do you think it's going to get better? Do you think you're going to be able to fix it? Do you think that you're going to be able to change and then come to the light and say, here I am in all my righteousness? God says, where are you? Come to me. I'm going to fix this. And when Adam and Eve stood before God in their own fix-it suits, God had them watch something that they never imagined. Listen, God killed an animal. God did, right in front of them. What God was showing them and us is sin is serious. When God says that sin brings death, He means sin brings death. That life is in the blood and there must be a penalty of blood for sin. And so God killed an animal, skinned it, told them to take off that fig stuff and put on that garment. God was saying to us and to them, you can't fix it. All we can do right now is cover it. But I'm going to send the one who will fix it. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. See, the entire Old Testament is a sacrificial system based upon the death of animals and the blood that would cover but not remove. And then there's this moment of truth in the New Testament, the new covenant, the new redemptive plan of God where the Lamb of God, whom Jesus is called, is killed and his blood is shed for you and I that we might have life through him and now no longer is our sin covered but the answer to our sin the light that came into the world has now revealed to us our brokenness and God says I'm no longer going to just cover your sin I'm going to remove that sin through my power through the blood of Christ that you might live a new life oh my goodness hallelujah man that's the Bible story no human being could create something like that that's God's redemptive plan So this amazing Apostle John, who is called the Beloved, who Jesus loved and had this amazing relationship with as he's walking, he writes, and he wrote the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Jesus Christ by John, and then he writes three letters to the churches that are also in the Bible prior to Revelation, which he also wrote Revelation. And here's the letter that he wrote to the church. You ready? We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. Hear that? In the beginning, God. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we've seen him. 
And now we testify and proclaim to you that it is the one who is eternal life. We declare to you, he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have seen actually, we have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. This is the message we heard from Jesus, and now we declare it to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying. Yeah, we can praise God for that, absolutely. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that His Word has no place in our hearts. So, many times here, I just read you the first chapter of 1 John. And we hear that amazing transformational power of God. We see the fact that we have to confess our sins. It says that we're all sinners and that we have not lived out of sin. Everyone has sinned and everyone has been a sinner. And we want to stop reading right there because in a way, when you read that, when he emphasizes the sin part two times on the other side of redemption... Many people want to read the fact that I was a sinner, I am saved, and I'll still be a sinner. Because that's the way that reads right there, right? I mean, it just said that. So a lot of times we want to stop reading there because it says I was a sinner, now I'm saved, but I'm still going to sin. But it doesn't end there. See, we put chapters and verses in here so that we could find stuff. And man, we did some disservices. I'm talking about human beings. We broke this up so that we could better study it. And I'm very glad for that. I am. But we've done some disservice because this context of this, just like when we stopped at John 3.18 and then the 19 says this is the verdict, here's the sum of the whole thing. Well, here we go again in chapter 1 of 1 John. When he's, reading this, um, when he's writing this to the church, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar, showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Keep reading now. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. Uh-oh, I was good with the sin, saved, sin thing. Now he's saying no sin again. Come on. I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, God. Church, that is amazing. Let's stop for a minute and get this whole thing in context because this is what he said. I'm writing this to you so you don't sin. But if anyone does, he doesn't say, so when you do? No, he didn't say that. So as often as you do? No. But if, but if, but if you happen to cross that line again, if you say, 
yes to God's no, that's sin. If you cross that line again, we have an advocate. Jesus is up there saying, Father, I lived in that world. I lived in that flesh. I know what's going on. I know how he's being trapped by the enemy. I understand that God have mercy. Our advocate. Oh, thank you, God. Isn't he amazing? I'm letting you know this. This is what we're this is a revelation from God. He's saying to us, church, you don't have to live over that line. This is the problem, church. Hear me. Temptation is what's trying to get us to cross the line. It's not sin. You're being called every day, all the time. Come here. Come here. Come here. Who said you can't do this? Why can't you do it? Come on over and try it. Nobody's going to care if it just happened once. It's called temptation. So temptation is trying to get you to step over into God's no. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is saying, stay in the yes. Stay in the yes. Stay in the yes. If you cross the line. God doesn't write you off. Think about it. Here you go. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Sin. Fig leaves. Who shows up? God. When they ran and hid, he doesn't say, well, you screwed it up. Deal with it. Where are you? <laughs> Isn't God amazing? Come here. Come here. Is this what happened? I'm going to fix it. I'm offering something. I'm going to do this. Church, that should blow us away, man. I look in my own life, and in all the times I jumped, I didn't coax myself over the line. I ran and jumped. I said, screw you, to God. And this God, whom I willingly ran and jumped over those lines, and I was looking for lines to jump over, was saying, Dave, where are you? Dave, where are you? Come here. Come here. Come here. And so after jumping over that line way too many times, there's a moment where I heard him say, where are you? And when I came to him, he didn't kick me. He didn't beat me. He didn't say, you're a screw up. He said, let me help you. Yes. God's redemptive, amazing love said, let me help you. I'll fix you. Give me all that. Give me all that. Is that crazy? It's crazy. Look, this, I'm going to keep reading this because this is what he says. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. So every time I ran and jumped over the line, Jesus took it. And we can be sure 
that we know him. If we obey his commandments, if someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. That's how we know. That's how we know. We do what God says. The yeses are yeses and the noes are no. That's how we know. That's what it says right here in the word of God, right? Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Oh my goodness, man. Immediately we want to push back from that and like, whoa, I'm not Jesus. I'm not perfect. God understands me. This is God's word, church. He's telling us right here. Those who say they live in God, you say you're a believer? Are you a Christian? Then you ought to live like Jesus did. So there's an undeniable expectation for us to live in the light and the truth at all times, in every place, in every way. To live like Jesus is this. It's not real hard. Hear me right. Jesus lived in full surrender to the Father's will in all things at all times. That's what that means. He lived in full surrender to the Father's will in all things at all times. That's what it means to live like Jesus lived. Yes, Father. Yes. Yes, Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God, can we do it this way? If not, okay, I'll do it your way. That's what Jesus did, right? That's what Jesus did. You're supposed to live that. I'm supposed to live that way. We're called to live that way. If we screw it up, the advocate is there saying, hey, isn't God amazing? Church, he loves you. He loves me. We don't deserve it. We did it. We jumped across that line and God said, come here. Come here. That's what he's doing right now. Here's your action steps. What fear is causing you to hide something in your life from God? How are you trying to hide something? He knows. Will you step into the light of truth right now? Will you confess your brokenness to God and allow his light, Jesus Christ, to cleanse you and set you free from your sin and your shame? So here's the deal, church. In both services, we had altar calls and people responding, and it's so amazing what God wants to do for us, and he will do for us when we let him. There's no extra power of God here at what we call the altar. I know God's right out there. He's with you in your car. He's going to be with you when you go home. He's just as real. But the whole reason why we invite you to come forward in the church is for you to be willing to step into the light and be accountable for your actions in front of your brothers and sisters. See, there's a difference then. If I say to everybody in the room, hey, everybody, would you just close your eyes and bow your head? Like, I'm not asking you to do that, but if I did, like a lot of times we do that in church, like just bow your head. Anyone like want to confess something right now with nobody looking around because we don't want anybody to know that you're confessing and raise your hand and ask Jesus to forgive you and I'll look around, count one, two, three, four, five, six, eight. All right, 10 people. Woo, thank you, Jesus, man. 10 people said yes to Jesus today. Get up and go home. Look, I want to tell you something. I mean this respectfully. If you can't keep your head up, and you can't walk up in front of us in this tangible presence of God, there's no way you're going to live it when you get out there. You're not. You're going to give in. You're going to cave in the first moment. And so when we say, 
hey, would you come to the altar? You ought to just get up and go, man. That's God in you. He knows you anyway. You're not hiding nothing. I don't care what people think of you. Why do you care? They already know you're messed up. You think you're hiding it from people. They know. God knows. You know. What's the secret? Why? Church. Jesus said this in John 8. This is my last verse. I'm not re-preaching, okay? I have this on my action steps. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We just read that two weeks ago in Romans. We were reading a very similar message about that in Galatians. We saw that in 1 Peter. And here's Jesus saying it. I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If I'm in the light, I'm free, man. Are you ready to be free in every area of your life? Come to the altar, man. If you are being called by God, I mean, like, come right now. If there's something that you need fixing in you, you need to be exposed in the light. God's saying, come to me. Look, it's not hidden. You already know what it is. You know what it is. No one had to tell you the Holy Spirit has already made that revelation to you, and you've already known. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, they knew. That's where we are. We're just being transparent with ourselves. We already were transparent with God. So right now, all you're doing is being transparent with yourself because you're recognizing where you are. You are seeing yourself. God already did. He loves you. (laughs) Isn't he amazing? He loves you. Here's the thing. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what the Word of God says. While we were yet sinners. So even when you were crossing the line and saying no to God's yes or vice versa, whatever it was for you, no to God's yes, Jesus was already paying for that. The whole sins of all the world. He already paid for this confession you're doing right now. Jesus already did this. So what He's doing right now is He's saying, will you accept it? Will you accept my payment for what you screwed up? That's what you're doing here at the altar. We're accepting God's answer to my brokenness. I'm broken. Here it is. I own it. I'm not blaming anyone else. I did it. It was my choice. No one made me. Church, right now I can tell you that it was a living hell to live as a preacher's kid. To look different than everyone else. To be yelled at, be called names and things by It was like, not okay with me. And I can say, that's why I rebelled. That's why I did my thing. That's why I was angry at you, God. You did this to me. Yeah, I can do all that. And I did. And I wanted him to know what I was doing was because of what he did to me through my family, through the church, through people. And it wasn't until I was like sick of this turmoil in my gut. (laughs) Isn't he amazing? Oh, God. God, forgive us. We've crossed that line. And Lord, even after we came to you, some of us have crossed that line again. We screwed up. Forgive us. Jesus, thank you for being the advocate. 
Oh my goodness, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being my advocate. <laughs> when I had no voice in the ear of God, you were my voice. is the cool part right here. I'm here and broken. I recognize it. I'm coming to God. The light is now shining on me. He's on you. Every one of you that are right here in front, the light of the Holy Spirit is just illuminating on you. Jesus is saying, it's mine. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all of our brokenness, all of our unrighteousness, all of that garbage. That's what the Word of God declares to us. In this very moment, He says, I'm setting you free. That's not who you are. That doesn't own you. That's not who you are. You are free, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm yours and you're mine, Lord. Now when we get up, we just got to walk out in the light, in the truth, and live there. There's going to be a voice calling you to cross the line. You know that. Listen, you already know you're forgiven if that voice is calling you to cross the line because if you weren't forgiven, he wouldn't bother calling you. Right? So you're forgiven. I want everybody up here to know you're free because of what Jesus said and what Jesus did. Amen. Own that. When you leave here today, own that. And reject that voice because he's a liar. That voice that's saying, come here, nothing changed. That's the lying voice of the enemy. Identify that voice and shut him down. You're free. Go in God's peace and love and have an amazing day and week with him. You're dismissed, church. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord.